Hey, everyone. If you listen to podcasts about Vermont, you are probably familiar with Brave Little State from Vermont Public Radio. Every month, their listeners vote on the topics they want covered. And this month, they landed on something we've actually talked about here on The Deeper Dig, the town of Fletcher, up in Franklin County, that seemed to completely dodge the flu pandemic of 1918. You can jump back to May 2020 in your feed to hear that story. This month, Brave Little State asked us to talk about what we learned up in Fletcher, and then dove into how the town is faring now, about 10 months into the COVID-19 pandemic. The result is something we thought you'd want to hear. VPR's Angela Evansy picks it up from here. From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. Hello. Hey, Chris. Why is that happening? Because you don't get rid of my background. That's what it is. It's your crazy background. There you are. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. This is today's winning question asker, Chris Crawford, and his wife, Esty. Yes, and this is my wife, Esty. She's, uh, we're, we're fans. We listen to your show. He's your number one there, fan. We're <laughs> if you didn't catch that, Esty just said, he's your number one fan. And I think that might be true. In just a few minutes, Chris tells me how he knows a previous question asker. Maggie Epstein was my grad school advisor. I saw her, she was on a couple weeks ago about the broadband episode. I was like, holy crap, small world. <laughs> he holds up a copy of my favorite and most coveted out-of-print book. Oh my gosh, I'm so jealous you have Vermont place names. That's amazing. And he name checks several episodes. I love those episodes, the one about the Confederate flags, where I give you guys like running and driving and stuff like that. That was wicked cool because you felt like you were in the backseat of the car while you guys were having that go down. Just to add something. So that was a great experience. Sorry. Would you like to sit down and join us, by the way? You're more than welcome. Well, I have to leave in a few minutes to go pick up a, a part for the dryer. <laughs> it's a broke. You would term that woodchucks, right? Because we fix our own stuff. <laughs> oh, he fixes everything. It is just lovely to meet someone who loves BLS as much as I do, but also nerve-wracking. This is probably Chris's one chance to be on the show and help shape our reporting. So, Chris, I hope we can do your question justice. Welcome to Brave Little State, VPR's people-powered journalism project. I'm Angela Evansy. Here on the show, we answer questions about Vermont that have been asked and voted on by you, our audience, because we think our journalism is better when you're a part of it. So there's something that's happening in that town. Chris Crawford asked us a question about a tiny town with a distinguished epidemiological history. My question is, during the 1918 flu pandemic, The town of Fletcher survived without any deaths and very few cases. How did that happen? What can we learn from it today? You know Fletcher, right? South of Fairfield, west of Waterville? A lot of people don't know where Fletcher is. (laughs) We have support from VPR sustaining members. Welcome. Our question asker, Chris, actually lives in Exeter, New Hampshire, but he spends a lot of time here. Uh, Right now, I'm in Exeter. We do have a place up in Holland, and we're quarantining so we can go skiing next week. So we're camping out here. Have you ever been to Fletcher? We just talked about that we should have have driven down there, but it's far from Holland. Other than knowing one person that lives there, we have no connections. I've seen signs for it. 
So Chris wants to know about this town, Fletcher, that he's never been to, that did notably well during the 1918 flu pandemic. That pandemic killed 675,000 people in the U.S. Here in Vermont, there were 40,000 cases. Fletcher had just four of those cases, spread out across two years, and no fatalities. And then... Fast forward 100 years. When Chris looks at the state's COVID-19 numbers... It's still the same case right there. They're not showing up in the town counts. Fletcher doesn't show up in the health department's list of towns with six or more documented COVID cases. We'll get back to the COVID situation later. But generally... What is going on there? What can we learn? Chris is just wondering, is there something special about Fletcher? What behaviors, characteristics of the town, of the people, and the microculture allows them to avoid these types of contagious viruses? Now, when I'm talking to Chris, he mentions an article that he'd seen about this very topic. I'd seen it, too, after his question one. It was by a different Vermont news outlet, VT Digger. This is probably a good time for me to let you know that I actually have some surprise guests uh, to bring into this Zoom call. It's kind of like a game show moment. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's cool. Two people in the waiting room um, who I thought could help answer your question. And I guess I'll just give it away since you're aware of this piece. It's the two reporters from Digger who reported that. That is really cool. He loves the the VT Digger, too. This is like having all these celebrities to him. At this point, Chris's wife, Esty, grabs a newspaper and starts fanning him down. Is that being recorded and fanning him down? (laughs) Here they come. I'm going to let them in. This is pretty cool. This is is amazing. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Hi. Hey, Chris. I'm Mike. Hey, Mike. How are you? Aaron. Aaron, how are you? We do some official intros. My name is Mike Doherty. I'm the digital editor at VT Digger, uh, and I make our podcast every week uh, called The Deeper Dig. And I'm Aaron Kotenko. I'm a data reporter at VT Digger. And then we talk through the piece that Aaron and Mike did, titled Fletcher Dodged the 1918 Flu. Does it hold lessons for COVID-19? They published it last spring. Mike, you did go there. Can you describe it for listeners who haven't been? Yeah, uh, it's up in Franklin County, and it is pretty isolated. Um, You know, I had one of those experiences where driving there, I had to kind of make a lot of U-turns, having realized I've gone the wrong way down some road or another. Um, That's actually what some of the people who we talked to there talked about was the transportation side of it, that part of the reason that it's isolated is because there aren't any state routes that go through there. Anybody who goes to Fletcher was going to Fletcher. It's not on the way to any place. I talked to one guy um, named Barry Doolin. That's still the way it is now. You know, if you wanted to go to Cambridge or you wanted to go to Fairfax, you wouldn't go through Fletcher. It does resemble a lot of what you'd see in a lot of other smaller Vermont towns where you've got a general store with some gas pumps, you've got a little cemetery, a church, a a municipal office building, a school, that sort of thing. One of the things that's unique about Fletcher, though, is that they're all kind of spread out. They're not gathered around some town center or some kind of green. When I drove up there, I also got turned around. And then in the town center... It's just really quiet. The most exciting thing that happened when I was there, the church bells rang. Not only is it isolated from the outside where you don't get a lot of people 
driving through Fletcher, just passing by. Um, it also within the town is the, the people are somewhat isolated because those things that would be potential gathering places are kind of spread out from each other anyway. Of course, I don't see my neighbors just wave to them. <laughs> I talked to a resident oh, named is. Charles Tinker. He's retired from a career farming and working at Obishan Hardware. Now he's a lister. And I, president of our church right there, president of the Cemetery Association, which is right there, president of the Historical Society, which I started a few years ago, 08, I think we started it. Charles is a fourth-generation Fletcher resident. His dad was a kid here during the 1918 pandemic. I don't know a lot about it. But he figures isolation had something to do with the low case count. And I think the reason is that they were all farmers, so they didn't go anywhere. (laughs) Of course, a lot of towns in Vermont and across the country were isolated in this way. So what else could explain Fletcher's seeming immunity in 1918? Other than the sort of transportation, isolation stuff that you've been talking through, Mike, was there anything else that kind of came up as you were trying to dissect the reason for this? Um, Erin, anything else that you learned in your reporting? Yeah, well, I also believe that Vermont itself, um, while it was still pretty hard hit, was a little bit protected by some relatively early action on the state's part. They declared you know, an infectious disease spreading in their community fairly early on, and they restricted social gatherings relatively early on. But it is it it is one of the more interesting factors to me. How much did rural isolation and the low population density play a role? Because across the country, there were plenty of very small rural communities that were absolutely devastated. Our question asker, Chris, had a follow up to this. I guess my question is to uh, to Mike or Aaron is uh, with regards to the low count. Sometimes you can look at a low count because things weren't tested, because maybe it's part of that rural lack of access to testing or facilities. Maybe more people had it. We didn't know about it. Uh, could that be a contributing factor? Is you know, are there any other patterns in the microculture with regards to the people? Do they not gather because they're so far apart? Like the neighbors don't know each other. How did, what did you do? Did you observe any of these characteristics? They actually had a gathering there. There was a wedding kind of right smack in the middle of this period of time. Yeah. And while their understanding of infectious disease uh, was not as great during that time period, uh, the 1918 pandemic had a relatively high fatality rate. So deaths are a pretty good proxy for you know, the total number of cases in the town. So the fact that there were zero deaths suggests there probably aren't a lot of uncounted cases. And also that wedding that Mike mentioned had a soldier from Camp Devons, which was one of the original outbreaks in the entire course of the pandemic. You know, there was really no reason for that wedding not to be a spreading event. It kind of just seems like they got lucky. So it could be a it could be rural isolation in Vermont. It could be the action that they took, and it could definitely be luck, uh, which is kind of a odd factor to consider. Luck, and this isn't just Aaron and Mike's theory. Their story referenced some research from the University of Michigan. It looked at so-called escape communities around the country that emerged from the 1918-1919 pandemic basically unscathed. 
Fletcher was one of them. We got on a call with Alex Navarro, who was one of the original researchers uh, who had identified these escape communities. He's the assistant director at the Center for the History of Medicine at the University of Michigan. Um, And he actually started researching this stuff back in 2005. The U.S. Department of Defense and then I think also the CDC had asked his team to study the effectiveness of what they called non-pharmaceutical interventions, which are these measures that we're now very familiar with of things like limiting gatherings or wearing masks, these different types of things that aren't medicine that might have an effect on the spread of an epidemic. And... He certainly used the word luck multiple times <laughs> in, in context of uh, what happened to Fletcher. In some respects, Fletcher was simply lucky, probably because they were so rural and so isolated. That's not a guarantee, of course. You know, these pandemics don't always strike evenly across any nation. You know, they're going to hit the urban centers first because that's where populations congregate. That's where you have travelers. That's where you have higher population density, people living in more crowded housing conditions. But being a rural town or county is not a guarantee that you're not going to get hit by the epidemic as well. When you say lucky, I mean, how lucky are we talking about? Like how many other communities were like this that completely managed to dodge cases and and deaths? So we we identified uh, six or seven of them. Some of these were not entire communities. They were really sub-communities like Princeton University. We only found really Fletcher, Vermont and Gunnison County, Colorado, as well as Yerba Buena Island off the coast of San Francisco, there probably were other rural communities that did not get influenza or were not hard hit by influenza. But it's incredibly hard to find these. You know, it's like a needle in a haystack. These are the ones that we identified. It's worth noting Fletcher wasn't the only Vermont community to have no fatalities. Alex Navarro's team found some areas without any cases at all. But those were really tiny towns, like a couple dozen or 100 people. At that time, Fletcher had more than 700 residents. You know, sometimes I I think of it as a statistical thing. Like, this is kind of a classic example in statistics of if you throw a a whole bunch of grains of rice on the ground, there's going to be one section of those grains of rice that is the largest distance apart from all those other grains of rice. There might be a reason behind that. You might be able to find a reason behind that, but it's effectively random chance. So maybe Fletcher is that grain of rice. I perceived that our question asker, Chris, was a little disappointed in this answer. I think he was looking for something more idiosyncratic that we could apply to this pandemic. I'm going to try to twist it a little bit here, if that's all right, Angela. So Japan and New Zealand, they've been able to escape, right, as a much larger community than Fletcher. So um, what I was trying to look for at the top of our discussion, Angela, is there any microcultural behavior besides just the geographical side that you can get out of the people in that community or how they interact with each other that's represents a pattern that these other countries are are following that can that we all can learn from and begin to adapt. I mean it's obvious, right? Wear a mask, protect yourself. But is there more to it than that? Did you guys find the residents of Fletcher to be particularly antisocial? <laughs> um no. 
not in my experience. I, I would say uh, no different from, uh, you know, most Vermonters that I would talk to. So it's a pretty simple equation. Isolation plus general adherence to public health guidelines, or what Alex Navarro's team called non-pharmaceutical interventions, plus luck. Yeah, I mean, there definitely was no kind of one silver bullet thing that we heard. Coming up, is Fletcher's luck running out? My son let somebody play his PlayStation, um, and that person ended up having COVID. That's right after the break. This is Brave Little State. It's Brave Little State. I'm Angela Evansy. Today, we're answering Chris Crawford's question about the town of Fletcher and whether there are any lessons to be learned from how well they did during the 1918 flu pandemic. When VT Digger published its story back in May, Fletcher hadn't had any COVID cases either. That's no longer the case. Hello? Hi, is this Sam? Yes, it is. This is Samantha Gillen, or Sam. Yes, we, I do believe we were the first family to get COVID. So can you tell me the story of what happened? Um, so um, my son, we didn't know this at the time, but my son let somebody play his PlayStation, um, and that person ended up having COVID. Sam says this child was from a different town. So when he got his PlayStation uh, paddle back, I guess that's where he contracted COVID. Um, And we had learned through the grapevine in our small little town that um, somebody that the other child had hung out with um, had been exposed to COVID. That was in November. So my family all went and got tested. Um, So um, my son ended up testing positive. Um, everybody else ended up negative, which was really surprising. Um, but before we got the test results back, we all had to quarantine alone. We couldn't be around anybody. And obviously, we couldn't leave the house. So it was it was a rough time. And so how how's your son doing now? Um, the main thing that he has now is he's really tired all the time. Um, he sleeps a lot. And that happened when we found out that he had tested positive, too. He slept a lot. Sam says the whole experience has been sobering. She says she doesn't judge people for, say, wearing masks in their cars anymore. Because suddenly she was doing that, taking her son to get tested. And she is really worried about all the kids going through this stuff. Emotionally, it is going to destroy our children. This is going to destroy our children. Sam's son wasn't the only case in town. According to the Vermont Department of Health, there have been between one and five cases in Fletcher during the pandemic, but no fatalities. The town clerk, Carrie Sweet, told me she's aware of four cases total. Four cases, to remind you, is exactly how many were documented in last century's pandemic. Honestly, I think that it's kind of expected. Some of them is because there was Two of them were kiddos, and they're, you know, back to school. Um, and then two, I believe one of them got it from work, and then, of course, his wife ended up with it as well. But um, I think that that's a, an expected number for our town. I think the town of Fletcher is overall doing really well. Yeah, you know, it doesn't really surprise me uh, that, you know, any community 
even one as small as, as Fletcher would have a few cases. I looped back to Alex Navarro, the researcher at the University of Michigan, to get his reaction. Uh, you know, my understanding now is Fletcher is is not that much larger today than it was in 1918. I think there are a few hundred people more. Uh, and so, of course, you know, with COVID being more infectious, uh, the pandemic is lasting a lot longer than it did in 1918, at least the, the spike of it. Uh, it doesn't surprise me, of course, that we would see some cases. Navarro says for lots of places, it's just a matter of time. What matters is how a community responds. You know, if you get a few cases, uh, those people... Um, go into immediate isolation and quarantine if the, you know, the wider community, in this case, a small town, village, is, are generally practicing the best social distancing measures, masking. It may only be just a handful of, of cases. Uh, but if they're not doing that, then you could very quickly have, you know, hundreds of cases. When Sam Gillen's son got COVID, she did not mess around. She announced it to her community on Facebook and quarantined her family for 25 days. We had somebody, one of my husband's best friends, he actually went to the store and got us everything we needed for Thanksgiving, dropped it off outside. Um, our local store that we have here, the Fletcher General Store, were so amazing. Like, I literally would call, I would place an order, they would get the food ready for me, they would leave it outside, and one of us would show up with masks and gloves, and we would pick it up out in the parking lot, and... They did that for almost an entire month. It was amazing. Sam says she also teamed up with her friend Carrie, the town clerk, for some intensive contact tracing. More, she says, than the state conducted. I wrote everybody down. I made all the phone calls to every single person that we came in contact with um, for like two weeks prior to this. And every single person that we were in contact with for the two weeks prior literally quarantined themselves for seven days. And then on the eighth day, everyone got, went and got tested and nobody had it. But I do believe that if we didn't communicate and didn't do our own investigation and let everybody know, I have a feeling it could have been worse. That level of vigilance can only be helpful in a pandemic, possibly life-saving. And maybe there is something about Fletcher that's particularly cohesive. Alex Navarro says at this rate, Fletcher might qualify as an escape community for COVID as well. They're you know, taking the public health measures seriously and they managed to not have any deaths in just these four cases. Then I would label at least initially a provisional escape community. I think that's fair. Uh, if they're not doing any of those things and they still only manage to get four cases and no deaths, then again, we're calling, you know, we're, we're talking about the luck issue. And, and you know, maybe Fletcher is just a lucky place. It's too soon to say. When I was in town, I talked to three people. Two were wearing masks, and one was not. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And thanks to Chris Crawford for the great question, and to Aaron Patenko and Mike Dougherty of VT Digger for sharing their reporting. We've got links to their piece on Fletcher and to the Deeper Dig podcast up at our website, bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can ask your own question about Vermont, vote on the question you want us to tackle next, and sign up for the BLS newsletter. We are on Instagram and Twitter at BraveStateVT. This episode was edited by Lynn McRae. Our digital producer is Elodie Reed, and we have engineering support from Peter Angish. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music, other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Sam Gale Rosen, Carrie Sweet, Amy Tinker, and Chris Lennox. 
If you're a fan of the show, you can support us with a gift at bravelittlestate.org slash donate, or just recommend your favorite episode to a friend. I'm Angela Evansy. We will be back soon to answer more of your questions about Vermont. Until then, remember, be brave and keep going.